Sadly, the Hawks saved the worst till last against the D's on Sunday, slipping to 1-4 after a final quarter fade-out. We're back to briefly revisit the match and sift through the positives and the negatives before we turn our attention to the team's return to Launceston this coming weekend. And you better believe we have our tickets. The Hawk Talk podcast is going to Tassie. My name is Nick Mason, and Tiz, how excited are you to take the pod on the road, so to speak? Oh, very excited. Launceston's going to be amazing. Happy to get out of Melbourne after Sunday, gotta say. That was, uh, I thought we were in it. I actually, like, I got sold belief for three quarters. And, uh, oh, I could sense it sitting in the MCC. They were getting nervous around me. And then uh, <laughs> the, the balloon was popped. It's that pesky belief, isn't it? It just made it sting all the more. I really did think we were in with a chance. Anyway, we'll get to that game in just a moment. But first, we have a special guest. Please, would you welcome journalist for the Riverine Herald, longtime listener of the show, and proud Tasmanian, Andrew Johnston. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Really excited to be on the show. Tiz, I'm just going to quickly uh, correct your pronunciation there. It's actually pronounced Launceston, not Launceston. Nick, yours really pleasing. I like to hear that. <laughs> I got a really pleasing off the top. Oh, wow. I feel good about that. Oh, well, now I look like a local when I get down there. Excellent. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> All right, we're prepped and ready to go. Uh, Andrew, customary questions straight off the top. Who's your favourite current day Hawk, would you say? That's a tough question to answer. I don't have a, a favourite player as much as I did when I was younger. I have a group of about five now that I am very fond of, but... Um, probably at the top of the list is Chad Wingard for me nowadays. And um, I've always been a fan of Chad Wingard. I've shared this on Twitter before. I weirdly have a number 20 Port Adelaide jumper that my friends gave me because I wouldn't stop talking about Chad Wingard a few years ago. <laughs> and now I have the number 20 on the back of the Hawks jumper and I'm very excited about that. But, you know, so probably Chad would be at the top of my list. Now. So you're the, you're the only Hawthorne supporter going around when, uh, when the question is asked, Oh, gee, did we give up too much for Chad? You're like, nah, not enough. No, we should have given up more. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Morrison might have got a mention because you've interviewed him for your for your paper in the past. I do love Harry. Harry being from Benalla up here in the Golden Valley where I am based. And I can tell you boys straight off the top of all the AFL players that I've been lucky enough to interview over the last couple of years, Harry is one of the most genuine young men that you're going to come across. And as we've seen this year, hasn't he taken a step so far this season? Yeah, i got to say, he did stand up um, early days. And then I think Melbourne clamped down on him, actually, because he looked like one of our only good ways to getting into the forward line. Um, no, he's had, a, he's had a really good year and is actually cementing a spot. Before we get headlong into the uh, the recap of the Melbourne game, uh, in addition to your present-day Hawk, your present-day favourite Hawk, Andrew, what about all-time favourite Hawk? You said you had favourites growing up. Uh, who's the person that springs to mind? Um, I have two. Obviously, um, the likes of Jason Dunstall and Shane Crawford were big for me growing up. But my two favourite players from my childhood were Ben Dixon and Joel Smith. When I, when I was young, I wanted to play off the halfback flank when I was playing junior footy because I wanted to be like Joel Smith, which made no sense because I was already taller than most key forwards of my team <laughs> and substantially slower for that matter. But, um, and I've been lucky to meet Ben multiple times over the journey and he's always been very good to me. So Ben Dixon and Joel Smith are at the top of the list for me. I used to love Joel Smith. I particularly remember, I think it was Brad Green he took out one day. At the G. That was a massive hit. Happier times at the G, perhaps. Uh, we, we do need to talk about what happened on the weekend. Yeah, no, we don't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should explain that it's therapy this week for Tiz after that harrowing experience. It is. You, you would have so sorely loved to have beaten Melbourne. Um, they're, they're your most hated team. You were up and about, you were hopeful, but uh, it was dashed in the final quarter. I mean, it, it, we have to at least acknowledge that the first three quarters were competitive. And I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't say I was over the moon with the output of that first three quarters, but I was happy at least that we were in, in the hunt. We had a chance. Jeez, we were working hard, though. It mm. looked like, you know, we just couldn't get a score going, and we were very good. That uh, We were very lucky that Hanrahan was so good early. Mm. I think he got most valuable player. He did. Didn't he, from the fans? Yeah. I thought, I, I kind of agree looking back on the game. And if I, you know, am ever sadistic enough, I'll go back and actually watch the replay and see what I thought about it. But by the end of the game, I couldn't remember the first three quarters because I'd just gone from, as you guys said, I was feeling really good when we kicked that first goal 
early in the last quarter, I was sitting there thinking, oh, we're on here. We're actually a real chance of running them off. And then it just faded for me. And it was, I've been disappointed in um, things so far this season and frustrated. Like the slow starts have been, for me, as it is for everybody else, have been killing me. But this time after the game, I was just sad. I'm like, how did we let that happen? It was um, a different feeling to the other losses, for sure. That We lost in a way that we haven't previously this season. Um, and it was just a complete capitulation. And I don't think... You know, Melbourne didn't look so good all day. Like, uh, you couldn't have predicted that would play out the way that it did because you just didn't think Melbourne had it in them. But what Hawthorne was able to do in the final quarter was as much of a factor as anything, which is bugger all. Well, the damn wall broke, didn't it? That's what happened. And again, we saw Gorn just tear us apart. I didn't expect Tom McDonald to be as good as he was. <laughs> and the way they deployed Oliver and Petrarca... Um, was excellent as well. I thought we could have done more homework on Salem. Um, in the first quarter, he was dominant. Um, and it, there's just little things you, you wonder about. Could things have gone differently if we'd kicked that second goal in that last quarter and really put the cat amongst the pigeons? It's a time to talk about Timmy? Yeah. How did they miss that free kick to Timmy? Is that what you're going to say? Uh, it wasn't my first thought when I was watching it live. But... <laughs> well, it was an arm chop. The free kick was definitely there. When you go back and have a look at it, there was definitely a free kick there. But same as what you were just saying, you don't see that at the time. You just think, how? That's an uncontested mark directly in front. How do you put... I, oh, I said to you guys pre-show I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. <laughs> um, you watched it. You just... How do you put that down? In defense of Tim O'Brien, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, in the same game, two marks inside 50, two goals. Virtually unheard of for Timmy. We just don't get that. So, yeah, he, he had that shocking moment in the final quarter that perhaps should have been a free kick anyway, but worth remembering that he uh, he did hit the scoreboard twice. And this is the one thing about Tim is, if you can make any comments about him, he is one of the best, pure set shots in that football club. He is a beautiful kick for goal. The problem is getting him the football because more often than not, he has to win his own football and take the mark, and that's where you're worried. As soon as he gets it in his hand, you can... Half the time, just put your glasses down and say, okay, well, we're going to be fine here. He's going to kick the goal. Who else did you like in our lineup? Like, who were the stars? I mean, Jager O'Meara continues his stellar form this season. He was the shining light in the midfield. Uh, we've touched on Ollie Hanrahan. Just the 14 touches for Ollie, but I thought his impact was certainly there. He had a team high score involvements with five, which I really liked. Uh, I thought Impey had his best game for the year. Yeah, right. And uh, our defence was pretty good for large portions. Um they went to town on Sam Frost, both the crowd and the demons, just trying to expose him. He had a dirty day, Sam Frost. I, I felt for him. Yeah, and uh, in terms of metres gained, though, it was back to Shields and Impey. Um, we didn't see much from Warple, although he tried hard. I could tell that he was he was deliberately delaying passing it off, trying to get some disposal efficiency higher than it was in previous weeks, but it's not coming off, and... Uh, you know, it was just so hard for us in the midfield all day. I think we had more clearances in the end, but they just didn't translate into inside 50s. It's that connection again. It's it's plagued us all season. It reared its ugly head again. As you, say, as you said, we did win the clearances, so something was going right. I, If you listen back to last week's podcast, I believe I mentioned that I thought, really, we'd, we stood a chance to be annihilated in the, in the centre. Um, that didn't happen, but as it turns out, it didn't matter. Because at the end of the day, that connection between the mids and the forwards is still the issue. And um, it, it makes you wonder if uh, if it's the personnel, that, like Cousins misses for Box Hill, um, and then he proceeds to miss all football entirely as he sits on the bench and is never subbed in. Um, I can't help but wonder if we just need to see him in the lineup or just something different at this point because uh, that connection is still faltering. That's something I don't think uh, Cousins offers, um, which is something different. I think he's very much similar to what we've got. Well, if that's the case, then how do we resolve this? I mean, who else is lining up? I would like to throw one other positive player in. I thought Chad Wingard's game was very good. <laughs> Bias. I think Bias. I think he... he struggled hard and fought all day for the footy. I think if you watch that game, 
Byron, they could have just about shot him and he still wouldn't have got a free kick. He t- <laughs> took some serious hits and he kept, every time he got hit, he kept getting back up and kept fighting for the football again. And I love to see that from him because there was that question mark when he first got to the footy club about where his commitment was at. And I don't think over the last year and a half, you could in any way question how committed he is to playing good football for Hawthorne. Yeah, the competitive spirit was absolutely there. It was only the polish, really, that I thought Wingard lacked a... You know, his disposal efficiency was way down, but I never questioned throughout that game that he was one that really wanted to win. And uh, yeah, you're right. He he couldn't take a trick with the umpires. The treatment of Chad was just laughable. So he had six clearances, which is second only to Jager Amira, and five scoring involvements. So Chad Wingard, having a very good season, um, did drift out of it late, but geez, how... We had 31 less disposals in that last quarter. And it's just the damn wall breaking. That's that's who we've played in the previous rounds and also coming back from Perth. You know, it's just got to take its toll. So what do we do for Sunday? Meeting Adelaide, we should consider ourselves a pretty good go. You've got to man up on Tex, probably Hardigan, maybe. I'd also like to... Um stress my support of Michael Hartley, who I think the week before that game against Fremont, I thought he was fantastic for us. And I was, like many, I was a bit surprised when he was omitted from the team. So was he, I think. <laughs> so was he. What what has happened there is, unfortunately, um, I think as far as the supporters are concerned, it set a bit of a precedent because he brought Hartley in for one game. And I'll admit I was surprised to see him included in the team. Didn't mind it, but was surprised. I thought he performed pretty serviceably, and then he's out the next week. I'm like, okay, well, I didn't see that coming either. Um, One week in, one week out. And now we turn to Connor Nash, because we need to talk about Connor Nash, Tiz. There was nothing about this on the rundown, Nick. (laughs) Where has this come from? Nobody even asked the question. The the listeners (laughs) immediately turned their attention to you online. They wanted to know just how you were supposed to justify his inclusion this week. And I say, and and this would be very much implied in this great preamble to this topic, if one week in, one week out is good enough for Michael Hartley, it definitely is for Connor Nash. This was atrocious. Running at 20% deficiency uh, with five disposals. That he, he, he was nothing out there. I could not believe how much... He wasn't affecting the game. After a stellar preseason with Box Hill, I had high hopes and they were dashed. Yeah, he had terrific form coming out of Box Hill. Um, I think he he was on the ground in the first quarter for five to eight minutes. They, <laughs> I don't know whether that sends a strong signal to a player, but if you're not out there when the heat's on, um, couldn't understand what his role was. Uh, it certainly wasn't what he was doing at Box Hill. That's it, yeah. He was played purely, you know, as a lead-up forward, which he wasn't doing. That's not his strength. No. I was frustrated for him. Um, I didn't see him tackle. I didn't see him uh, pressure. I didn't see any physicality from him. I didn't see enough. And I don't think, other than, you know, you give the bloke another opportunity um, because he's been so good at Box Hill and... Hawthorne was so inefficient in attack last week uh, is the only reason why you'd retain him. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Nash? I'm a bit the same as Tiz. I struggled to see what his role in the team was on the weekend. And, you know, part of that was that he was pretty much unsighted around the footy. You know, he could have been playing a role and he just wasn't getting the ball near him. We don't know. And that has been a criticism of Hawthorne for some time now is how we're getting the ball inside 50 and actually setting up for the opportunity to score. But I, I just was confused as to what they were doing with him. And that one jumped off the page to me more than anyone else in the team when he came in. I was like, I and I don't follow Box Hill as close as you guys do. I have to admit that. Um, I kind of read that and said, okay, well, I don't fully understand what we're doing with it. I'll go with it. If this is what you're going to commit to, I'll happily, I'll go with you on that journey. But by the end of the game, like, well, what was he there for? And did he, did he just not achieve that level? Did we not give him the opportunity to achieve that level? I was just left with a lot of questions after his performance. It was an interesting game because in terms of the selection table, the inclusions, a couple of them, um, Hanrahan and Nash, he had one guy in Hanrahan that really repaid the faith in him. He got dropped 
He uh, he played his heart out and heart and guts out at Box Hill. He earned his spot back. I've got to say he didn't he didn't look that great at Box Hill. I thought Morris played better than Hanrahan, and yet Hanrahan got the call up. But this is this is what I'm saying. You had a guy who took his opportunity, recalled into the side. He had a guy playing his first senior game of the year, and they couldn't have been any further apart. They were just worlds apart in terms of output. And that's that's sad to say, because um, everything we were hearing about Nash and reading about him was, he's he's earned this. He's earned the call-up, and he'll, he might get another week to make the most of it. I guess we'll see. We talk about our favourite whipping boy in Timmy. At least with Tim, when you're seeing him around the ground, and we, we joke about the almosts and things like that. But that's because he's getting into position and he's trying to compete and trying to do a role. And so whilst you can be critical of how he actually uses the football and that he doesn't get the football a lot, he is trying to do that role. And as you said, with Nash, sometimes when you did see him, he didn't, he almost looked disinterested at times. I don't think disinterested is the right word, but I'm struggling to think of a different one to use. Well, he, he looks defeated before the contest is over. That's a far better way of putting it. The problem has been, and I think Timmy's the prime example, is he's a third tall. And uh, if you get Lewis and even uh, Kaczynski playing well, and then you have Jekka, I just don't think... I mean, we didn't even see O'Brien in the ruck much, did we? Did we see him at all in the ruck? Yeah, O'Brien played ruck, but you know who did? You know who did slide into the ruck in the final quarter? Uh, Kyle Hardigan. Yeah, oh, just you know, it doesn't speak well of the coach. No, yeah, the one thing, um, oh well, of many to be fair, that, that frustrated me from this game was just didn't learn about Max Gorn. And I don't know if it's a particularly difficult lesson to learn. We should have learned it years ago, and that is kick it where the Big man isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because if you feed him the footy, he's good enough to punish you eventually. Yeah, but his positioning's fantastic. I was watching him. He had a terrific game. Um, McAvoy couldn't go with him. If they went down the centre, it was just coming straight back. No, 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 no. There's two flanks. There's two flanks, and to constantly kick it to the one where um, Max Gorn already is... Is just a, a, I told you their pressure. It's not a nut. No. I told you their pressure was good. Hawthorne didn't even attempt to try and switch sides most of the day. But here's what I'm saying. They could have. I, I was watching and I knew they could have and they didn't even try. And that was very frustrating. I don't know if that's a coaching thing or it's players not taking initiative, but they seemed fixated on always using the side of the, side of the ground where Maxi Gorn was. And I just... I don't know... Do, do, do they do they recognise that he's giving them a bath? Like, do they know what's happening out there? I, I was very frustrated by that. Well, I don't know if you guys remember that game last year that we played against Melbourne, that mm. that was the thing that we all walked away from saying, why would you just keep kicking down the line to Max Gorn? Yeah. And then in the first couple of mi- minutes, it's like, oh, we're doing the exact same thing that didn't work for us last year. <laughs> why are we still doing this? He's... Mate, you know these things about Max Gorn. You know what he offers in the team. And one of them is that his intercept marking is so fantastic. He's one of the best in the competition at that. I just, as you said, I can't fathom why they would keep doing that. Like, make the switch to the other side of the ground now and then. You know, sometimes you're going to get caught out by it. Sometimes it's not going to work. But at least you're giving yourself an opportunity, not just kicking it to the same bloke who's going to keep cutting off every attempt that you're making to go down the ground. Yeah, if McAvoy is on the field at that point, I'd be more inclined for him to play a sacrificial role and just be pure decoy. Take Max Gorn away from where we want to play. Uh, he's, he's not going to follow him. Mate, he, he, every single time he did. Every single time. All you have to do, and, and what, we would have done in the, what we would have done in the past, is just, you know, it's, you just set one on Max Gorn's head and Ruffy comes <laughs> through the pack. You know, you've got to make them earn it if they're going to sit under the ball all day. Anyway, we should get to some uh, listener questions on this game. We heard from Tony. Uh, were we actually expecting to be better than one and four? We had a tricky draw so far and three likely wins in the next four games. Could be four and five. Now that is supremely optimistic. I do like that question because genuinely our results aren't as bad as they look. We should have beaten Geelong. What do you think? Too optimistic? I don't think it was. Um, and that's just my opinion. I thoughts i will always go into a geelong game irrelevant of where we are in the ladder saying yeah we're 
as good of a flip of a coin because that's just how Hawthorne and Geelong games turn out. You're always as good of a flip of a coin. Um, the Fremantle game pre-season, when I was looking through the fixture, that one jumped out as one of the early games of the season. I said, you know, we could win that. We, I thought we'd go all right against Essendon. I mean, like everybody else, I had no faith that we were going to beat Richmond. And also pre-season, if you guys remember how shocking Melbourne were in the JLT, that I pre-season had written this one in as a W already. So um, to say we could have been four and one, I can see where people had that optimism going into the year. And it's a bit like last year. We thought we were going to be a lot better than we actually ended up being. What, what about our next four games? I know we have Adelaide next week. Is it West Coast after that? That should be a bit tricky. And then North, I think, down in Tassie again. Perhaps that's the one we should have gone for, Nick. It would have been wonderful. <laughs> wonderful to see you down there against the North supporters. Who I, I imagine are there in flocks. Are they, Andrew? There's just flocks of North supporters in Tassie now? Oh, yeah. T- oh, absolutely. Tons of them, you know. They're, they're just <laughs> everywhere. Um, that's a, um, I'm just going to put the cards on the table there and say there's a little bit of North South bias in that for me as a Northern Tasmanian that you look down on that club who's playing in Hobart. And obviously we have our issues as Hawthorne supporters with North as it is. Some more than others, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but this is, um, this is one of these Tasmanian things is that there's this genuine parochialism between the northern part of the state and the southern part of the state. And once North started playing games in Hobart, it kind of agitated Hawthorne people saying, no, this is our state. We own this thing. Um, and it's a frustration of mine that one of our games every year is against North because... They have a contract to play in Tasmania. Fine, play your games. Don't take one of ours away. That's fair enough, too. It's nice to have someone else on the podcast that's, that's as inflamed about this issue of North Melbourne doing anything, <laughs> uh, let alone affecting Hawthorne in the process. Um, need to move on to our next question here. One from Anthony at Hook Talk Pod. Uh, our coaches have all week to plan. Does it take that long to come up with kick it as high as we can into the 50, not looking for a teammate in the best position? Uh, guys, we did seem to slip back into that mode, and that was very frustrating. Yeah, well, it's just genuine panic, isn't it? That's all it is. They're not told to go out there and do that. <laughs> it just it doesn't work. We hardly ever get it near the 50 anyway. We're kicking up the line. We're always talking about the forward line. We brought McRae in. What is McRae doing? Uh, it's probably a bit less evident to me now than it was in round one. <laughs> I'll be honest, I've started to lose sight of what we're trying to do. And I don't know if that's on the players or what, if they're just not following team instructions. But uh, Do you think, Nick, we probably stayed in this game too long? The margin didn't get out long enough for Clarko to go, well, Craig, what do you reckon? Oh, yeah, that, that's the theory you floated last <laughs> week, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Look, um... There's just so many of our forwards, small forwards, drifting in and out of the game. Bruce looked good. Moore looked good for patches. Hanrahan looked okay. Uh, they're too even and they're competitive, but they don't win the one-on-ones, which other teams seem to be doing. Uh, following on from that question, uh, Blytho added this. Uh, the run and carry that we showed in the first three games seems, seems to have been replaced with the old bomb it down the line and into our forward line. Do you think teams are stifling that run now, or are we just reverting back to old habits? We'd turn the footy over less, taking it on, I reckon. Well, how did CJ go on the weekend? Have they started putting work into him? I think they might have, yeah. He's certainly quieter. I think he managed, off the top of my head, 13 touches. But, um, I mean, you could even say on this on this particular occasion, still when he got the footy and the dash and covering the ground, he was exciting. He was trying to generate something. So... Those hallmarks of his game are still there, even if he was a bit quieter. Just getting CJ's stats up here, boys. 13 disposals, 7 kicks, 6 handballs. Um, not moved at 92% efficiency, which is incredible. That was 100% for a long time, deep into the game as well. So uh, 12 pressure acts, and probably one that really stands out to me is 237 metres gained. That's uh, quite low for him, really. That's to be expected. Like He started the season off so well, but we also need to remember he's still a kid. In terms of his development, he's still becoming a very good footballer. He's not there yet. He's still very much a rough diamond at this point. And we've seen flashes of what we are going to see of him in the next couple of years, but we can't be expecting that from him week in and week out at this point in his career. Should we be expecting more from Scrimshaw, who probably had his best game for the year? He only got 218 metres gained, but he stood up in that last quarter when the pressure was really on, which I admired. 
88% efficiency and six intercept marks. I still like him, but I think he needs to be given his head a bit. They don't seem to tell him to uh, to take off with the footy. I think his judgment's fairly good most of the time. Certainly, I'd back him more than Sam Frost running up the middle of the ground. <laughs> I would too at this point. I, I'm not not convinced by Frostball. I mean, I personally like to say it. I, I enjoy Frostball to an extent as uh, driving home from... I can't remember which game it was. It was maybe the Geelong one, listening to somebody talking on the radio saying, well, his own teammates don't know where he's going, so what chance the opposition got? Um, <laughs> but, um, and that's the thing about Frosty is that you're going to see some mistakes from him, but I like that he takes on the play. I like that he isn't scared of making a mistake. And sometimes that's what we need. We've, we, we talked about panic earlier. That's probably something that we're doing now is that we're panicking ourselves and say, okay, well, if I do this, this could happen. If I do this, this could happen. I'm just going to bomb down the line. And that forces that mistake. Whereas if you're not afraid of making the mistake, maybe you're going to take on the play. You're not going to win all of them, but you sometimes are going to break through those lines and get the ball moving in the way we want to see it move. Well, that's effectively what the question asker Blyther was getting at, that we'd turn it over less taking it on. I, I don't know necessarily about less, but at this point in time... What turnover do you want to see as a Hawthorne supporter? Do you want to see it marked down the line by Max Gorn or do you want to see them roll the dice? I know what I'd want to see. I know the turnover I want to see. And that's the controlled panic that Hodgie and Lewis and Mitchell used to do where they'd do the ugliest kick you've ever seen but it'd bounce in front of the defender. And uh, it's like like watching the goalkeepers. You know, you try and bounce the ball in front of the goalkeeper just so they have to worry about the bounce something might happen, and that's exactly what happened. Often the defender would freeze to wait for the bounce and then react to it, and it'd just give Poppy or Cyril a bit of a look uh, at the contest. It certainly wasn't. They immediately got control of the footy and and made their way to attacking. Yeah, no, this sounds easy to do, Tiz. Just make it bounce the right way. You know, the football. Get it to bounce the way you want. I like that, I like that we're saying to a group of still very relatively young players. Hey, go out there and play like Luke Hodge. This is actually a very nice transition into the next question here from Richard, who hit up at Hawk Talk Pod. Are we being a bit tough on the current group? Do we really expect Terry B, Lewis and Cozzy to be the equivalent of Buddy, Ruffy and Gunston? Or indeed Hardigan and Frost to be like Lake and Gibbo? We've been spoiled over the years at the moment. We just don't have the cattle. Oh my goodness. Do you remember the first two years of Roughhead? <laughs> he was still a defender in his first couple of years when you think about it he, w- he was but he, he didn't look anything like a footballer but you know he obviously had some talent but he was always second guessing and there's a lot of that in our players now but what we did do is we had to keep standards I, I get what they're saying in regards to Mitch Lewis who's still what only in his fourth year of senior football and I absolutely get it with Kaczynski because he's in his fourth game of senior football. Tim O'Brien's a different question. Tiz got very animated with that one. What's your thought process? Oh, I could hear it coming. I could hear. <laughs> he's not Lance Franklin. He's not Jared Roughhead. And he's never going to be. And we're not even asking that from him. But I I, I don't like being this hard on an individual. I really don't because I, I like to enjoy football and I want to enjoy it. And so I don't want to be sitting here criticising people in this way. But But he doesn't have any help. There's no help for him at the moment. And there hasn't been help for ages. I think they do ask too much of Timmy, but I don't think there's anyone they can ask, be asking the question of. Well, well, that's the thing, Tiz. You, you pointed out, like, when you think about it, if Tim O'Brien's not in the side, who's playing his role? I think that I think Hawthorne have invested a lot in Tim O'Brien. I'm not, I'm not even sure he has an understudy, so to speak. Look, going forward, what you're going to see is Gunston, Lewis, Bruce on the other side, Wingard in the forward pocket, Kuzitsky at full forward, and someone else in the other pocket. And you you mentioned Jack Gunston there, and I'm guilty as sin of this this year, and I think a lot of other people are, that we're forgetting that Jack Gunston's not playing. We have our, our best forward is not even in the team. He could play halfback flank. So don't <laughs> count your chickens. <laughs> Classic Clarko. That's wacky. <laughs> um, you speak about the halfback flank element for Gunston. Do you remember? It would have been uh, 2017. So it was the year that we were 
uh, garbage. They actually tried O'Brien in the back line at times, kind of in that halfback flank role, and he didn't play too badly. No, he he nullified and he could kick long to a to a contest. Yeah. Yep. He he was running around doing that role for Box Hill, and they brought him up and they they had him play in defence in the seniors, and uh, I didn't hate it. He was slow as thought. He got caught with the ball a few times. That was a criticism. But when Gunston comes back into the team, is that something that you look at? Do you look at playing Gunston as your key forward? Having Lewis and even Kaczynski, both of them playing in that forward line, so that they're learning at the same time as you've got some stable guys. And while you haven't got James Sicily in the team, which is going to be the status quo for the whole season, basically, do you then give O'Brien that opportunity to say, hey, go back and try something different? We'll try in a different role. We'll see if maybe that can start get you going again. Because there's probably, with O'Brien, probably a lack of confidence there as well. I mean, it doesn't help that he's got sods like me mouth and offered him at every possible opportunity either. He's 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 intelligent. He knows that he, that people are frustrated with him. He's probably frustrated with himself. And you know, there's there's times you do wonder whether um, there's a lot of confidence in kicking long to him in the first place. I wouldn't say that there is personally, but look, I, I would be happy for the coaches to throw the magnets around with within reason. I think that O'Brien in defence is. Absolutely something worth considering. Um, and we'll, we'll hear more about that sort of thing uh, coming up as we move on to uh, our Box Hill watch. Um, not a particularly great afternoon for Box Hill. Um, there were danger signs early, but for the margin to blow out to about 51 points was pretty disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing. After they, uh, they looked so good coming into this game, um, they would have felt pretty confident. I know Sam Mitchell had been mentioning that they weren't hard enough at the footy. Um, so he sort of predicted what would happen. Yeah, it was the midfield where it was lost. Um, they were just smashed. And I, I can't help but feel once again that, well, neither team got the services of James Cousins on the weekend. And I think Box Hill is the team that probably missed him most, being the uh, the accumulator for that side and, and had shown as much in the preseason. And suddenly the team was without him. And by extension as well, uh, Connor Nash. Now, I know he had a poor game in the seniors, but he was performing really well for the VFL. So to suddenly strip that team of two of its best is it's probably going to make a, a bit of an impact. I think Cousins is the big question that a lot of spectators would have out of the weekend is if you're not going to use him at all. I don't understand the point of bringing a guy who is playing a role in the twos up just for the injury sub. Give it to somebody who's can play a role in the scenes if they're needed to, but they're also not essential core players in that reserve side that are going to be directing things. Because if you want to use your tools for teaching and for learning and for getting those players ready to go, then you need to have your core right. Like um, we talk, we've keep hearing about Emerson Jecker, for example, and how he plays. And if he's going to develop, then he needs to be getting the ball coming in at him in the right way. And when you take out a core piece of the midfield, is that going to happen as much? I know from, what I read, Jack had played pretty well on the weekend, but is he going to get the same opportunities playing at Box Hill if you're then messing with the core of Box Hill just to have him sit on the bench for the entire time? Well, I think you're forecasting a question that's coming later. You know, where do we want Jacker to be learning the craft? Do we want him to come up to the AFL uh, to a team that is really struggling to mount a sustained attack? Or do we want him, you know, really pulling apart some teams in the VFL? And just looking fantastic. Well, well, Tiz, it's not just coming up later. It's coming up right now. This was from Danny on this exact topic. Uh, what's going to serve Jekyll better? Gaining confidence by kicking plenty of goals at VFL level, as he's doing, another three this weekend, or debuting in a dysfunctional forward line with a midfield that has a penchant. Is that the way you pronounce it? Penchant? Penchant? Penchant. Penchant. For long, high entries to packs, and hasn't uh, Danny just summed up the dilemma beautifully there? I think that Emerson jumps at the chance to play AFL this week. I I would do it. I think every footballer would do it. You don't play footy to play VFL. I, I think you'd be keen, for sure. Do I see it happening? Well, on the one hand, I kind of considered it from the perspective of Emerson Jecker has now played one proper game of VFL. One. However, on the other hand, Tyler Brockman has played zero. He went straight into the seniors and he was fine. So look, Hawthorne could pull the trigger on Jekka. They could include him this week. I'd be fine either way. I'd be 
perhaps a tad cautious, thinking it's too early, but then you just never know, do you? And do I think he's going to have the greatest game in the world? Do, well, more to the point, do I think his game is going to... Do I think that his performance is going to be affected by him alone? No. I think our forward line at the moment is uh, very much a worry, and plugging him into it, I just don't think that's going to be the cure-all that people are hoping for. I worry if it's going to hurt his confidence a bit. But we, we'll see. We'll see. Is there also something to be said about half committing to multiple guys at the same time and what value that actually does in the long run? Like, we've, we're have we starting to give Jacob Kaczynski a run, and that came off the back of, obviously, playing fantastic football in the preseason for a guy who six months ago was a defender. Um, do you then start to send mixed messages saying, hey, Jacob, yeah, we're really invested in what you're doing, but we're also going to try this other guy at the same time. Do you, or do you give one of them a proper run at it and say, we're going to commit to you for 10, 15 games, and then we're going to see what happens next? Because what are you going to learn from three or four games in the seniors when you're then bouncing around a bit? Well, well, Kaczynski wouldn't be the player, I admit. No, but if it, I understand that he wouldn't be the player that you take out for him, but you're trying to train him as your key forward for the next five to ten years is more the point that I'm making. And also you've got Lewis to squeeze back into this as well, who's probably got the same idea. He's the guy, you know, he's probably hoping that. I think the the thing you try and do is gel some blokes in the twos and then bring them all up and see where they can perform in the AFL. We heard from Mouse here uh, at Hawk Talk Pod. Who do you want to see as our tall forwards going forward? For mine, Lewis, Cozzy and Jekka. Until Gunston gets back, of course, Cozzy needs to be persisted with, loved his attack on the footy. And uh, I've got to agree, that was um, one aspect of Cozzy's game that... I really enjoyed in the uh, in the Melbourne clash. I thought he was hard at it, very physical. Yeah, he demands a footy, doesn't he? It's good. I'm in the same boat. I would like to see Cozzy and Lewis as the options that you're working with for the time being as your next generation. We'll leave Timmy out of this because Tim's established in that team, so he's got a role. But for the two guys that are still trying to develop into a role, I like what those two have to offer. And as you said, Cozzy's attack on the football has been really good. and there's something about defenders turning into great forwards. And this is well and truly jumping the gun, but I'm going I'm going to another fellow Tasmanian. Um, Alistair Lynch was an All-Australian defender who then later in his career got switched forward and became probably either the best or the second best, depending on whether you rate him or Matthew Lloyd better compared, depending on the roles that they played. And, you know, our feelings towards Matthew Lloyd aside, um, where do you see that with a defender? Is a guy who's been playing defensive the whole time, he knows how to read forwards, he knows how to read the game, and then slotting him into the forward line does he develop faster? See, the strange thing about Cosley in the twos was he hardly ever got the ball, but neither did his opponent. So he, got, he went everywhere with his opponent, basically, and I think he learned a lot of the patterns. But he's still got a lot of improvement to do. I just... There's no shortcut, really, is there? There's no shortcut here. No. No, there's not at all. Um, you know, I see people constantly talking about, uh, well, especially this week, we, and I suppose we'll touch on pattern in just a moment, but oh, with that, <laughs> yeah, well, we need to at least briefly mention it, but that, that list spot opening up, it does prompt a lot of questions on just how Hawthorne might use it. And um, that's a multiple choice question, unfortunately, but that's what a rebuild is. Do you think ruck? Do you think midfielder? Outside mids? Uh, forward? Because clearly people are thinking forward because it, it just we can't generate a score. So naturally that's where people go. But yep, it, there are no shortcuts and it's going to take a little while. Jeez, I tell you what, the ruck looks weak. I mean, given that Reeves is playing quite well at Box Hill and pe- people were criticising them for going in too tall, which perhaps they did, with Brooksby in the side as well. Um I don't know, can we see Reeves this week? This is the place that Clarko loves to debut players, right? There's a bloke in the team who kicked one goal off his first kick, and that's Timmy, uh, back in 2014, round one, I think. Wearing the new 23 on his back. Like most Tasmanian games, I was at that game. Um, wasn't the only debut. Young Derek Wanganin also ran out of his first game for Hawthorne. Yeah, he he was at the club for a while too, and um, it wasn't the it wasn't the same. But that was also Ben McAvoy's first game for Hawthorne. That was his 
uh, first game after switching clubs too. So Hawthorne loves a Tassie debut, which I said in the history of this podcast, and I was shot down by Tiz. Do you remember that? No. <clears throat> yeah. uh, moving right along. Who else did you like from Box Hill? I mean, we've read uh, Sammy Mitchell's report on the game and player by player, and it wasn't clearly wasn't as glowing as in previous weeks because we got absolutely pantsed by Casey. Um, I liked what I read about uh, Lockie Bramble, um, who seems to be something that we might be able to use at the moment, his, his speed and X-factor in the middle. Like, like the sound of Reeves. And Finn McGuinness didn't, didn't really accumulate much of the footy himself, but Sammy was pleased with his tagging role, which seems to be the player that they're turning him into. They, they are assigning him that role week after week now, and they seem to be pleased with what he's doing, even though he's not finding the footy much himself. What I've liked about the tag this year is seeing players who would never typically play that role go with someone as a run with them. We looked at um, James Warple over in Perth going with Andy Brayshaw for the day. And Warps has probably been down on confidence the last season and a half since he won the best and fairest. And I still reckon there's a little bit of where do I fit in this side now that Tom Mitchell's back because they're such similar footballers. I liked that they used Warple in that role because it freed him up to do something different. And that's what I like about the tagging role sometimes is it just gives someone something else to do so instead of focus on i need you to get 20 touches okay focus on not letting that guy get a kick that gives you something different that you can work on and something else that you can develop as part of your game also it trains the brain the concentration levels have to be really high for that and i feel like he did it well it was uh it was new for warple we don't often see him do something like that so uh i think he performed admirably and we saw what impact that had obviously they they reeled it back in the last quarter and brayshaw got off the hook but is that showing how important that role can be. And maybe that is something that you do with Finn McGuinness. Like who, I don't necessarily know who you'd send him to against Adelaide, but the week after that, they play against St Kilda. Maybe there is an option in that team that you can go with. I, I must admit, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, and then in the next couple of weeks, you've got West Coast where you can send somebody to a Tim Kelly or send someone to an Andrew Gaff. And the week after against North Melbourne, you can potentially annoy Ben Cunnington, who obviously is a rough around-the-ball player, but you can try and limit his influence or even get creative and play him up the ground as a defensive in a run with roll on a Tarrant Thomas or something. Or even tag Zeeble because he gets a lot of the ball back there. I tell you what, he's a fantastic. If you haven't got him, he's a fantastic super coach player, Jackson. Oh, is he? <laughs> he is. He's very high scoring. Right, we need to take a look at Hawthorne versus Adelaide at uh, the University of Tasmania Stadium Sunday, twelve thirty p.m. I've packed my togs, Nick. Is that a bad move? Where are you going swimming? Is my is my question. I don't know. We've got the car. The whole thing's an island. There must be some nice swimming spots. My, my recommendation would be Greens Beach of those options. However, my recommendation would be don't go there in the middle of April. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm, I'm staring down walking with llamas. Um, Nick has got this penchant for llamas. <laughs> oh, and, oh uh... come on. <laughs> He's already found out how, how far away the... The llama farm is and all this kind of stuff. So I've got to find other things to do, Andrew. What I have to say, I lived in Tassie for 23 years and I never once went to a llama farm. <laughs> Excellent. That's a review in itself, I think. Is there anything we need to be mindful of uh, attending the match? Uh, genuinely, no. Um, <laughs> I would say that. I would say that I've been to a lot of different footy grounds around the country. Utah's York Park, as we still call it, it's York Park to me because that's what I grew up with. Um, York Park is one of the friendlier grounds that you're going to go to. You don't have problems with spectators or anything like that. Was Adelaide the first team that we played down in Launceston? In a home and away game, yes. We played a pre-season game in 2001 against Richmond down there as well. Um, in uh, I can give you a bit of a bit of Tasmanian history too. Uh, 1991 was Hawthorne's first game in Tasmania against Fitzroy at North Hobart Oval. Uh, in 1999, the year we won the ANSET Cup, we played a pre-season game against Richmond at North Hobart Oval as well. But from 2001, obviously, is where we kick off the run of games at University of Tasmania Stadium or York Park, as we prefer to call it. We need to get to uh, some questions about this upcoming clash. We heard from Matt. Uh, short and sharp from me, who would you prefer in the team? Dan Howe or James Cousins? Howe. Cousins. Oh, 
Even the selection panel doesn't agree with you. How many games <laughs> do you want to give Dan Howe? We're at round six. You've seen him five games in a row. Come on. Yeah, he hasn't been one of our worst. I think he's very important around the ball. Bigger body like that. He doesn't make terrible decisions. He also intercept marks behind the ball. Cousins is a very, very different player to Dan Howe. Yes, I was going to say, they're, they're not like for like, so it's a difficult question. But uh, I, I'm ready to see something new. I'm ready for them to, to try something, that's all. And we heard from views from the nosebleeds. With a host of halfback talent, is the time right for Impey to become a permanent midfielder? We lack pace and decent kicking, and he offers both. It's a good point. I'm not sure whether he's got the engine for it. I'm, I'm definitely open to trying something like that. I think... Um, in your engine room at the moment, who do you have for speed? Like Jager's probably our fastest player uh, of that main midfield group. So there's a case to be made. I'm not sending him to every centre bounce, but I would be more than open to see him roll through a little bit more often. Like we saw in the first couple of rounds of the season, like we're giving Luke Bruce a few shots in the midfield just to try and get him into the game. I'd be open to maybe leaving Bruce forward and giving Impey that role instead. Yeah, so far this year, um, uh, Bruce rotating into the midfield is not exactly new as far as uh, the last few years is concerned. He's done that before. Wingard, we like to rotate through as well. Um, in the preseason, we were playing Phillips in the in the coalface, uh, and we tried Howe in there too. Um, why not Impey? You have another player to rotate through adds a point of difference that we, I would argue, sorely need. That also gives more importance onto the role of a Tom Mitchell and the role of a James Warple. Like we're seeing, what what do we know about Tom Mitchell as his greatest skill is to be able to get the ball and start to get it moving. But so often that is dampened by the fact that he gets it to a player who then can't move. If you have Impy as your option in the middle, I should probably be calling him Jarmander, by the way. Which Jarmander. Make sure I get over the last if you can get Jars the footy a little bit more and let him run with the ball and see if we can get that ball moving a bit more. What do you think about Dylan Moore in there? I was just thinking that, yeah. He seems to have good footy smarts as long as the ball's at his feet. You know, he's he's pretty quick. I don't know. They, 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 he just seems so loath to change up the forward line because it doesn't function too well at the best of times. He wants to keep a certain structure so that eventually it might crystallise. Okay, well, let's talk about ins and outs. Uh, Mitch Lewis is now free and available after serving his one-week suspension. Do we expect that he's going to come back into the side? Hard to say. It depends. Again, it depends on what kind of structure you want to go with the forward line. And then who comes out again? Well, I mean, the weather's going to be pretty good. I think we can have quite a tall forward line. Uh, Segler won't be coming back. He's injured himself. Um, ankle. ankle injury. Mm. Uh, sustained in the third quarter of the Box Hill game. Uh, Tyler Brockman, does he come back into the side? I want him to, but not at the expense of uh, Hanrahan, for instance. I don't think that would be right at all. Um, so maybe for more, but then I don't think more deserves to lose his spot. I don't think he's done anything that terrible. I'm going to float a controversial opinion to you. If, if you want to bring in Brockman, do you give Luke Bruce to spell? Yeah, maybe. This is probably the first week this season where I'm not wholly confident of the changes they're going to make. I can see Lewis coming back in, but who exactly steps out? I mean, probably Nash, but I don't know. But beyond that, I'm not sure where the other changes are going to come from. I'm not sure who, who they'll take out. I'm not sure who they'll bring in in response. Now, when we faced Adelaide last year, we were both pretty confident. And uh, then they pretty much belted us and uh, went on a wonderful run for the end of the year. We uh, we gave them supreme confidence. Oh, we gave a lot of teams <laughs> supreme confidence last year. What <laughs> Jeez, GWS looked good against us, didn't they? Whew. Should I be confident, Andrew, do you think? Or am I just, you know... Am I just still believing in spite of all the evidence? So the the one thing that plays into our hands and is has been talked about a lot is the Tasmania factor that um, I believe, and I'm happy to be corrected by anyone, uh, you can send your tweets to the Hawk Talk podcast, not for me. <laughs> um, I reckon 64 games in Launceston over the stretch and we're 49 and 15. We have a fantastic record at that ground and that ground has been fantastic for us. There is something to be said about the fact that we didn't play in Launceston at all last year. And there are guys in this team, and particularly if we do pick a couple of newish players, there are guys who've never played in Launceston before. And 
there are certain elements of playing in lawn system that are different to other people. Like at uh, one end of the ground near Invermay Park, there's a gap in the uh, between the terrace and what is now, I think, the Carlton mid stand where if it gets into there, it just drops because wow. of how the wind plays. <laughs> because there's this massive gap in the middle. And if you ever watch these games closely, you will see it every single time it gets in that gap, the ball will drop. And once you start to get, once you've been playing a lot of football there, and that's why we were so good for so long there, is we knew the intricacies of the ground. All I can think is that Buddy kicked 13 on that ground. <laughs> another, another game that I was at, actually. Oh, I'm so envious. I'll always remember watching it at the pub. <laughs> I looked at this season. Obviously, we're seeing Josh Bruce kick 10 for the Bulldogs against North Melbourne. We saw Harry Mackay a couple of weeks ago kick seven. Um, Texas kicked six, four or five times. And uh, not four or five times, two or three times, sorry. Um, listening to that on TV, you start to hear something that I've missed from footy, which is when the ball is starting to move forward, you start to hear the crowd rise. And you've also started to, on our front, when the ball's starting to go into CJ, you're starting to hear that crowd rise. Um, but I remember being at that buddy game, and every time the ball even went past halfway, the crowd was just on their feet like it's going it's going to go near him he's over there kick it kick it the bud kick it the bud <laughs> and when he kicked the 10 um the full crowd broke into the body, body. and there was only eleven thousand people there and it's louder than it was louder than some games i've been to at the mcj in the ground that day because we were just in awe of what we were saying you, you know who i think uh of our current day list has the potential to grow into that kind of player where you just the ball gets near them and you're like, oh, here we go. I reckon Tyler Brockman. That's my big call. I know it's very early on in his career, but if he starts to fulfill his potential and becomes the player that we're all hoping for, he'll be that guy where the electricity in the stadium will be palpable. Whether he gets a game this week, though, I'm not so sure. No, I 100% agree with you. And um, as you guys probably were at the start of the season, you were reading a lot about the draftees and the word Cyril kept coming up around <laughs> Tyler Brockman. And then saying, we're not, he's not there yet, but he has the ability to become that player if he commits to it and if he keeps pursuing it, if he grows into the player that they want him to be. And we used to feel that way whenever the ball would go near Junior. It would feel like something's going to happen here. So if he can become that player that they think he can, then you absolutely are going to start to get that feeling of every time it goes near and saying, okay, Something's going to happen. Before we move on to miscellaneous listener questions, we need a verdict on this game from uh, from each of us. Tiz, you seem confident. I have to be confident. I'm attending. <laughs> I, uh, I, <laughs> it's in Tassie. The stats are with me. And a- Andrew, I, I seem to know which way you're leaning. You think we're a very good shot. Hawthorne by 26. Hawthorne by 26, all right. Oh, you gave a margin. Look at that. <laughs> um, one, one thing I would say to you as viewers going to the game is... It'll look like we started off slow, and that happens a lot with Hawthorne's Tasmania games. We typically start really slowly in that game, and after halftime, they start to break away. It's been a pattern that's existed with Hawthorne games in Tassie for at least the last 15 years. It's something that regularly happens. And so sometimes you get to halftime, it's like, oh, we're not playing particularly well. Don't get disheartened if that happens. I'm not saying that's a certainty, and I definitely don't want to put the mockers on them, but <laughs> that is a pattern that you do see a lot of in games in Tasmania. As you start to adjust to the conditions, you start to adjust to the fact that it's blistering cold for you, mainlanders. I reckon uh, I reckon we're a chance, because that's what Hawthorne is in 2021. We have proven every single game that at the very least we're a chance, and even if we're not getting the result that we're after, for most of the game, we're, we're in the hunt, even until, you know, the Geelong game. Right to the end, we're a chance. So I can't write us off. Um, I'm worried about whether we've put some homework into Adelaide after last year. I certainly hope that we have after being surprised by them. The Tassie factor helps me feel a bit more confident. I back us in to, to break this drought and uh, score the W this week. AFL for fans. Dylan Moore sometimes looks quick, but more often he looks too slow for AFL level. Many notice it, especially when seeing him live at the game. What are your observations? I have to say I haven't noticed that personally. Um, And there's something to be said about a guy who can turn on the Jets when he needs to, but a guy who also has the football smarts to say, hey, I don't need to go bullet a gate at this contest. I can sit here 
and know that the ball is coming to me. And I think um, for a guy who's still young and still developing, I think he's got an incredible football IQ. Footy smarts was the, were the words that came to mind when you were saying that, yeah. And he can run all day. Don't forget his tank is enormous out of the draft review we got. We're just, pull, just pulling up some uh, information on him. He, as I said, he was took out a state steeplechase title in 2014, ran a 1,600 metres at the store gift in 2016. He was an athlete during summer. And the reason he did athletics in summer was purely because he wanted to be fit when he played footy in winter. Everything he was doing, even at that age, was about developing his tank to be an AFL footballer. What worries me is that he came this close to falling off the list. That's what worries me. And he didn't seem to get a lot of opportunities either. There were a lot of, there were a lot of guys like that at the end of last year. and uh, Damon Groves is another example of that, who I thought looked fantastic when he came into the team. Was there something to be said about guys who nearly fell off the list last year? Don't forget CJ either. CJ gave us a real scare when uh, he took Hawthorne out of the Instagram mention that he runs <laughs> on his profile. Was there something to be said about the fact that there was so much confusion around list sizes that there were guys who any other year it was a slam dunk. It's like, okay, you'll be back next year. Um, and there are also a number that were announced a little bit later. Like uh, I talk, you mentioned earlier that I interviewed Harry Morrison last year. He um, had said, and we included this in the article, he said, yeah, I've got my program. I've got this, this, and this, and this is what I have to work on for preseason before the club had officially announced that he'd been re-signed. So he knew he was back. And I reckon there was a case with a lot of those players who knew that they were coming back, but maybe the club hadn't officially announced it. So we thought they were closer to dropping off the list than they actually were. Well, something that we do have to revisit in the um, in the coming weeks, maybe it's something for the um, mid-season pod in the break, uh, is that, that contract list. Um, I mean, off the top of my head, there's still nearly 20 guys that are really playing for a contract this year. So, um, you know, if you thought last year was interesting and intriguing when it got down to it, uh, this year is going to be massive. And it's going to be massive in terms of um, the the shape that this club takes for the rebuild. You're going to really, by, you know, October, November, get a real sense, much more than the um, performance that we see for the rest of the year in terms of wins and losses. This list is going to look a hell of a lot different I'll, I'll say that. I don't know how many they're going to get rid of. I don't know if they're going to do a north and cut 12. I'm not going to say that. But uh, there's a lot of guys that um, they'll need to prove themselves and the club's got to make a call on them. Uh, and you're also knowing that there's some foregone conclusions. Like we already know, for example, Sean Bergwin's gone at the end of this year. Yes, I that's that last year that he was gone at the end of 2021. This was his last year. There's guys like uh, Moore, for instance, um, Hanrahan. I mean, they're just two off the top of my head, which you'd say right now, you you get an idea of what's going to happen with them, but there's a it's a long season. You just don't know. So it's going to be interesting. Isn't Mitch Lewis out of contract as well? How dare you? <laughs> I believe Tim O'Brien's also out of contract. Uh, yes, he's a restricted free agent. So, uh, but, uh, but mark my words, Hawthorne will retain him. And should there be an offer, uh, Hawthorne will match it and uh, Tim O'Brien will be on the list next year. So there's my call. I don't think it's a particularly bold one. If you disagree, and if you're frustrated by it, Hawks fans, I don't know what to tell you. It's going to happen, so just get used to it. (laughs) We heard from Teddy at Hawk Talk Pod. We have a spot now that Patton's gone. From what we've seen so far, what kind of player do we need? What area are we lacking? And then we heard from Stewie Bro. Are there any potential recruits we can be targeting at the mid-season draft? Now, we'll touch on it briefly. John Patton, gone from the club, opens up a list spot. That was announced pretty late in the day last Friday, I believe. Uh, a thought or two before we move on for good. It's it's disappointing. We recruited him thinking he could be something of value for the club. Obviously, there are some injury issues. There are some off-field concerns. It's disappointing that things turned out that way. It's disappointing for, I dare say, everybody involved in that story. It's just It's a disappointing situation and it's one that we just have to move on from. I don't really have much to add um, to, to this at all. I think we've said as much as we really need to. Clearly, yeah, it was disappointing all around. I'm satisfied at least that part of his retirement, he acknowledged the hurt that he had caused and the offence that he caused. And I think it was phrased in such a way that I was kind of, yeah, left satisfied that this issue, as far as him being tethered to Hawthorne, is done. And... uh I hope there are brighter days ahead for literally everyone involved in this. Yeah, I think Hawthorne enforced a standard there. 
and uh, we move on. Exactly right. So, with all that being said, we do have a list spot available, just as we thought we might when the whole saga broke. We, we saw the writing on the wall. We thought he, we didn't even put him in our season guide. So we, we really did think that he wasn't ever going to play for Hawthorne again. Now we do have this list spot. What do you do with it? Again, like I said earlier, it's multiple choice. But what are you guys inclined to do at this point in time? I would say it'd be a fast midfielder slash outside player. And that's because we don't recruit Ruckman. Well, the club, when um, Jonathan first took his leave from the footy club, had a look at Jackson Callow, who from North Launceston and now at Norwood Footy Club over in the SANFL, who's relatively similar in that he's a tall marking forward. He got overlooked in his draft year, obviously, and then did what a lot of Tasmanian footballs are doing and went over to South Australia to play, which has worked out well. You just need to look at Ryan Mantle, who went over and played for Woodville West Torrens and is now playing for Richmond. So they're clearly from at least how I'm interpreting it, you can see that there's an element of that. When that name was bandied about, it was a sense from Hawthorne supporters that, oh yeah, this could be a bit like for like. This makes sense. Yeah, and then Cozzy went forward and they decided that they go with Bramble. So <laughs> We really need to move on. This is an uh, an XL episode, as it were. Uh, this this question from Arriving Virus at Hawk Talk Pod. Why is footy classified the worst AFL show and why is front bar the best? Yeah, now see, this is just wrong because bounce is best, as we all know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it's it's a matter of tone, isn't it? I think Footy Classified takes itself far too seriously and, and shows like Bounce and Front Bar reminds us that this is a game and games are meant to be fun. There's also something with Footy Classified and I could debate journalistic ethics with you guys all day if you want, but Footy Classified tries too hard to create an agenda. That's not media's job. Media's job is to report on the agenda. It's not to create one. Agree. Okay, we move <laughs> on. Uh, quick fire answers for this. Uh, Anne, at Hawk Talk Pod, what's your favourite Pixar movie? That's not the type of question you're after, is it? At least Pixar movies always make me happy, unlike the Mighty Hawks at the moment. Oh, Anne. <laughs> I don't really like Pixar. I'm, I like the shorts at, at the beginning and then I walk out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say you can't really beat Toy Story and you can take any of them. They're all good. All four Toy Story movies and Finding Nemo. All right, this one from Aaron with full knowledge that we're off to Tassie. We're taking the Hawk Talk podcast on the road. What's on the receipt from the Cadbury factory? Boys, I hate to break it to you. You can't go to the Cadbury factory. Oh, no. A while ago, they got rid of the tour, but now the visitor center shut. You can't go. Got to get caramella koalas from the servo like normal. All right. Well, we've got a whole day without anything to do now, Andrew. So... uh... (laughs) Oh, the llamas. Back in with a shot. <laughs> Any suggestions? Um, if you're staying in Launceston, the first thing that I would say to you is the Cataract Gorge, which is our pristine, most beautiful part of all of Tasmania. I'll get some grief off some Hobart people for that, um, which is uh, just a hop, skip and a jump outside of the city. There's a beautiful suspension bridge walk. The whole gorge area is just the most beautiful natural site you're ever going to come across. That one is definitely already on the agenda. So we look forward to that. This final question from Dino. Uh, What's good to eat in Tassie? My mate brought back some Belgrove whiskey from there, which is pretty delicious. Pretty much everything, particularly on the seafood side. Uh, I'm a big on Tasmanian oysters. I will plug two places that you can go and eat. There's a... There's a craft beer joint in the city called St. John, which has very nice food and obviously has a very wider range of beers. Um, If you're sticking around the Invermay area, there's a restaurant down on the seaport called Levy. Full disclosure, it's owned by a guy I used to go to school with, but that's not why I'm recommending it. Um, Their food there is fantastic. I highly recommend Levy. Well, I'm psyched to head down there and uh, we'll see if we can check out your recommendations. You've got the whole weekend there and... uh... It's going to be a good time, Tiz. Really looking forward to it. We need to get to some social media stuff so we can wrap up this giant-sized episode. Does Andrew want to plug some stuff? Um, I'll just plug my personal Twitter, which is at ARJ7X. You'll occasionally come across some of the stuff I've written, but it's really just me rambling about either Hawthorne or the Boston Red Sox most of the time. I feel like people in our in our community that we've created around the podcast, they'd be familiar with you. You're, you're a very vocal uh, online Hawthorne supporter and always appreciate your takes. Uh, retweet you a hell of a lot because, uh, what can I say? Love your thoughts. Love your take on Hawthorne. Find myself often agreeing with what you have to say. 
It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. We need to get some social media stuff. As I said, 286 ratings on Apple Podcasts, which is absolutely nuts. So uh, if you do like the show, if you want to jump on there and rate and review us, we'd very much welcome that. We're over on Twitter, as I uh, as I alluded to, at Hawk Talk Pod, climbing towards 2,600 followers, which is awesome. Facebook, we've got a passionate community over there, which is great to see. Facebook.com slash Hawk Talk Pod. Over on Instagram too, just search Hawk Talk Podcast. Patreon, again, is the big one for us. Jump on board there and support the show. Sign up at whatever tier you want. But uh, there's a certain tier that gets you uh, all our bonus episodes, bonus content, and the guide as well, the season guide that we're putting out. And... Uh, Gee, might uh, might have a sneaky bit of an upload here or there uh, over over the course of the trip, because God knows it'll be all about the content, llama or no llama. Also, make make sure to check out my plaque at University of Tasmania Stadium on the side of the Carlton Draft Stand. Do you actually? Do you actually have a plaque? I do. Um, when I was turning eighteen, they were offering fan plaques to people as part of paying off the new stand. So I have plaque number twenty-five, which was great because I was a big Ryan Schoenmakers fan at the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I shit you not, he's one of my favourite players. Um, eventually, I came around. <laughs> I didn't like him for a long time there, but I came around and was very adamant defender of him by the end. But you'll find it there, plaque number twenty-five. From memory, it says Andrew Johnston, Spectrumer, Agendo, always Hawthorne on it. Well, that's that's on the to-do list again, Tiz. So we've got another thing to do. No, oh, this is good. You see, we need some direction. Otherwise, we'll end up at those bloody llamas. I do not. <laughs> Uh, we really need to wrap up. This has been a gargantuan uh, episode, just enormous. So uh, we need to bid farewell to uh, to all you listeners and indeed our special guest today, uh, Andrew Johnston. It's been an absolute delight. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hope you've had fun. Thank you so much for having me, boys. Have a great weekend in the beautiful state of Tasmania. Go Hawks. That'll be it, Tiz. You excited? You're very smiley on the call tonight. Oh, it's going to be good fun. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be the first time we get away. This is uh, 12 months in the making. So I hope you've got Instagram and everything and you've got another power pack for your phone. And All about the content, mate. I'm set. You've got to jump on our socials, listeners, because uh, it's going to be good fun. We're going to chart our road trip. It's going to be a bit of a travel diary happening all throughout the weekend. Uh, and with any luck, we can cap it off with a win over the Adelaide Crows. Anyway, this has been the Hawk Talk Podcast. We are a happy team at Hawthorne.